It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you for coming along. I'm sorry to break into your half-term break. Last week... With the Scottish Parliament in recess, MSPs had returned to their constituencies and political observers thought they were taking a well-earned break. I was actually setting up a toddlers group because I thought it was going to be a nice, quiet recess week. But on Wednesday morning, the political world was hit by a bombshell. Rumours were flying around as Nicola Sturgeon called an urgent press conference with just 90 minutes' notice. Being First Minister of Scotland is, in my admittedly biased opinion, the very best job in the world. It came out of the blue. There was a lot of scrambling around as people tried to get to Edinburgh. Since my very first moments in the job, I have believed that part of serving well would be to know almost instinctively when the time is right to make way for someone else. In my head and in my heart, I know that time is now. Sturgeon resigned at a crucial and curious time. It came a month before the SNP was scheduled to have a, a special conference on independence to debate how the party would push for Scotland to leave the UK. I've been Nicola Sturgeon, the politician, for all of my life. It's been a privilege. But having reached this stage in my life, maybe I want to spend a bit of time on Nicola Sturgeon, the person. With a lot of question marks over the timing, what next for the SNP... For Scotland, for the Union, and for Nicola Sturgeon. Right, with that, I'm going to depart. Just, minute, just one now. factual point. Have you been or do you expect to be interviewed by the police who are looking into your I'm not, party's I'm finances? Not going to, I'm not going to discuss uh, an ongoing police investigation. I wouldn't do that on any issue, and I'm not going to do it now. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the rise and fall of Nicola Sturgeon. My name's Kieran Andrews and I am the Scottish political editor for The Times. 
Kieran, when the news broke about Nicola Sturgeon last week, it sent a real shock around a lot of newsrooms, but it wasn't a complete surprise for some. Take us back to last summer, last August in particular. Just describe the scene when we had the first hints that this might be on the cards. Nicola Sturgeon had done a number of shows at the Edinburgh festivals where she had openly speculated about her life after politics. Nicola Sturgeon chooses her words very, very carefully, which is important for what I'm about to say. In the last show that she did at the Fringe, she was speaking to Brian Cox, the Hollywood actor, Scottish, from Dundee, big independent supporter. I've, I've had a great, you know, I can't complain. I've had a wonderful career. I've enjoyed every minute of it. It's, it's been fantastic. And, and it's got better as I've got older. I feel more free. Mm. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't give a f*** anymore. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> And she said... I can't sorry, wait that, to reach that stage. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Nicola, you will reach that stage, I guarantee. Oh, I, I get a bit closer to it every yeah, single yeah, day that well, passes, believe me. And it's wonderfully liberating, you know, because yeah. we get, When you look back now at what she said then, the feeling is, is pretty similar. I could go on for another few months. I don't know, six months, a year maybe. But I know that as time passed... I would have less and less energy to give to the job. And I, I can't Did people around her know? Not very many people knew. But Nicola Sturgeon mostly had been discussing this with her family, not just Peter Murrow, her husband, who is also the chief executive of the SNP, but also her mum and dad, who have felt quite concerned for Nicola Sturgeon and the, the amount she has had to deal with as First Minister, both personally and professionally. So those were the initial conversations. And then the weekend before she started speaking to some of her closest political allies, John Swinney, the Deputy First Minister, Keith Brown, the Deputy Leader of the SNP and the Justice Secretary, they they were sounded out as were a couple of our most senior and trusted political aides. And then the day before she resigned, she had been at the funeral of a long-serving SNP activist, and she came back down from Crathy in Aberdeenshire, went back to Butte House and on the journey back, that was really when she decided it was time to go. It was actually during that funeral service that I went from being 99% certain about this decision to 100% certain. Though I know Alan would not be at all happy to have played any part in my departure, so I'm sorry, Alan. But his funeral reminded me that the cause of independence is so much bigger than any one individual. She basically said she's had enough. She has been worn down after eight years of leading the Scottish Government. You know, she's the longest serving First Minister that Scotland has had. And it seems to me that eight emphatic election victories in eight years ain't a bad record together. She has led the Scottish Government through the pandemic weathered the storm of that really acrimonious dissolution of her relationship with Alex Salmond. You know, she served as Salmond's deputy in the first SNP government and he was her political mentor. That took a big toll on her personally as well as professionally. And that is on top of the day-to-day stresses of, of running the government. You know, after Jacinda Ardern stepped down. I know what this job takes. And I know that I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. A few weeks ago, Nicola Sturgeon told journalists... For me, 
who the leader is that takes Scotland to independence is less important than that Scotland completes But you feel that it will still be you? Um, yes, I do. Jacinda Ardern said she doesn't have enough in the tank to continue. How much is in the Nicola Sturgeon's There's tank? There's plenty in the tank uh, at the moment. But then you fast forward not very long at all. You know, I get up in the morning and I, I tell myself, and usually I convince myself that I've got what it takes to keep going and keep going and keep going. Um, but then I realise that that's maybe not as true. And, and you That's quite a turnaround in a few weeks. Do you think, in a way, having seen Jacinda Ardern step down... Do you think there must have been something quite tempting about that? Nicola Sturgeon often talked about Jacinda Ardern and New Zealand and spoke of her in a very admiring way. As far as I'm aware, there, there wasn't any communication between the pair or certainly not very much, but it is not unreasonable to think that that factored into her thinking. Throughout that press conference and in the run-up to it, and in the immediate aftermath, it felt like a really, really significant moment in Scottish politics. I remember a you know, similar moment just after the 2014 referendum in the same room where Alex Hammond resigned. The position is this. We lost the referendum vote, but Scotland can still carry the political initiative. For Scotland, the campaign continues, and the dream She'll never die. And that felt seismic. But we knew Nicola Sturgeon was going to take over. And we, we kind of knew what was coming next. Now, this huge moment is followed by a void of uncertainty for not just the SNP, but the wider Scottish independence movement. At the end of the press conference, though, there was one question flung at her about whether she'd been interviewed by the police. Have you been or do you expect to be interviewed by the police who are looking into your not, party's I'm finances? Not to, I'm not going to discuss uh, an ongoing police investigation. I wouldn't do that on any issue and I'm not going to do it now. Don't know. There's a lot of stuff swirling around. This harks back to an investigation that has been carried out by Police Scotland into around £600,000 of funds that were raised from SNP members and independent supporters as part of a a drive to ring fence money and campaign for another independence referendum. You can pledge your support for Scotland's referendum at www.ref.scot. Complaints were made to the police after the SNP's accounts were published and they had far, far less than that amount of money in the accounts at all, never mind ring fence for another referendum. How have you gone from having plenty in the tank three weeks ago to an empty tank today? What is it that's changed over the last few weeks? You've mentioned some things. The only thing you didn't mention is the police inquiry into the party's finances. As, look, these things are not uh, the reason I'm standing here today. Uh, police Scotland have been investigating this for months now. They've been looking at whether there was any criminality around this. Now, of course, this doesn't tell us what the outcome is going to be. But there had been rumours in the run-up to the press conference and just afterwards that Nicola Sturgeon had been interviewed by the police in the days running up to her announcement to her resignation. She dodged the question at the press conference, but her aides later briefed that she had not been. But ultimately, because Peter Morrow, who I mentioned earlier, her husband, is chief executive of the SNP, if there is any 
wrongdoing to be found. And like I say, it remains to be seen whether the police will find any wrongdoing, mm. but it will lead to serious questions about what Nicola Sturgeon knew. When did you first know your husband had loaned the SNP £107,000? I can't recall exactly when I first knew that, but what he does with his uh, resources is a matter for and him. it was wholly his money, any of it yours? It, it, the resources that he lent the party to, uh, to the party were resources that belonged to him. Wholly to him, yeah? They were his resources. The SNP are obviously cooperating fully with this investigation. We've yet to see what comes of it. So what's, what's your understanding as SNP president? What's the truth behind that? As far as I'm concerned, there is no missing money. This is simply not true. And I think the repetition of it is, you know, is malicious. But, you know, there are some people who will go on believing it no matter what. Was there a sense that there were other reasons why she might be stepping back, though? Not the ones that she talked about at the press conference, but politically, was she in some trouble? It's been a tough few months for Nick Sturgeon, more so than she is used to. You know, there's been big problems and controversy and splits within the SNP over the Gender Recognition Reform Act, which was legislation brought forward by Nicola Sturgeon to make it easier for trans people to switch their gender to introduce a policy of, of self-identification and lower the age at which people can transition to 16. That has been blocked by the UK government. Nicola Sturgeon, the SNP, thought that the blocking of that would lead to a groundswell of support for the plans from people in Scotland because it would be seen as the UK government overruling the Scottish Parliament. In fact, polls have shown that about half of the population in Scotland supports the UK government with a, a much lower proportion backing the Scottish government over this and, and a load of people unsure. And then... This case centres around uh, a double rapist uh, who attacked two women while they were known as Adam Graham a number of years ago. Uh, and they made the decision to transition uh, while awaiting trial uh, in that criminal case. And they're now known as Isla Bryson. And they are controversially being held in Scotland's all-female prison, Cornton Vale. The reality is... This double rapist, this beast, is in a woman's prison right now. Uh, we think it's wrong. But the case has caused a major row and put pressure on officials to think again. I can confirm to Parliament that this prisoner will not be incarcerated at Cornton Vale Women's Prison. My question is, are all trans Look, women women? You haven't is, answered that question. Well, that's not the point that we're dealing with That's here. The question I'm asking. Trans women are, are women, but in the prison context, there is no automatic right for a trans woman. So there are contexts where a trans woman is not a woman. No, there is. <laughs> there is circumstances in which a trans woman uh, will be housed in the male prison estate. Is there any the context in which a woman born as a woman will be housed in the male estate? Look, we're talking here about trans women. And I'm now asking about women born as women. Uh, I don't think there are circumstances there, uh, but so it's different for trans women. Well, yes. And I'm not... So they're not equal? That is not... That there is a risk assessment process done for trans women that takes account of the nature of the crime. It clearly it's significant... But I think the biggest issue... Nicola Sturgeon did reference this in her resignation speech. There has been widespread concern in the SNP about her plans to make the next general election a de facto referendum on independence. Mm. She used this as her plan B after the Supreme Court 
ruled that Holyrood cannot hold a unilateral independence referendum and the UK government is refusing to agree to have a rerun of the 2014 contest. So if the SNP went into the next election with Nicola Sturgeon as leader, the results of that election would be seen as a measure of whether Scotland wanted to be independent or not. That was certainly Nicola Sturgeon's proposal. There's a special conference that was due to be held in the middle of March. Everyone knew it was her policy being put forward, but there's been a flood of amendments gone to SNP headquarters trying to change this to water it down, or indeed in some cases to strengthen it, or to switch that de facto referendum to being a Holyrood election. It was becoming increasingly clear that there was a pretty good chance that Nicola Sturgeon's plan would not survive contact with the SNP membership. By making my decision clear now, I free the SNP to choose the path it believes to be the right one without worrying about the perceived implications for my leadership. I am firmly of the view that there is now majority support for independence in Scotland. But that support needs to be solidified. And my judgment now is that a new leader will be better able to do this. Sergeant's clearly decided that she doesn't have it in her to not only make it through that pretty bruising debate and whatever happens at the back of it, but then see it through. And having asked the party to go with her, then actually stay in post for at least the next 18 months or however long we are until a general election and take things from there. Coming up, with Nicola Sturgeon stepping down, what will it mean for the future of politics across the United Kingdom? That's after a quick message from a colleague. I'm Henry Zeffman, and I'm Associate Political Editor at The Times. It's my job to take you to the heart of Westminster, working out what's really going on in the corridors of power. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Kieran, stepping back, take us back to the very start of Nicola Sturgeon's career. 
Do you know Nicholas Sturgeon? Hi there. Hi there. Hi there. Hi there. Give this lassie a hand today. Is the incumbent okay? Here. Let's go to Glasgow. There's uh, another declaration there. I think it's Govan. The result from Glasgow Govan. Nicholas Sturgeon, nine thousand. Not just her own political trajectory, but actually Scottish politics. Really, over the last few decades, have been pretty much dominated by two formidable figures, Nicholas Sturgeon and Alex Salmon. Just give us a sense of their relationship from her her start in in politics to now. I think it's really important to remember that Nicola Sturgeon joined the SNP aged 16 in Ayrshire at a time where joining the SNP was far from fashionable and raised eyebrows about why anyone who is talented and ambitious would not instead join the Labour Party. Part of that was because Nicola Sturgeon was inspired by having seen Alex Salmond and the way he behaved in the House of Commons. Deputy Speaker, it's a point of order. Point of order. Madam Deputy Speaker, it's an order for a minister to give way successively to people who haven't been here throughout the debate and refuse to give way to members who have. The impact he managed to have leading a very small group, I think of three at that time, SNP MPs. And as Nicola Sturgeon entered politics, Alex Salmond identified and saw someone who would have a bright future. To fast forward then to the SNP leadership contest in the early noughties, Nicola Sturgeon was running to be leader. She was not going to win. And Alex Salmond, who had stepped down previously after 10 years in charge, came back up and said to Nicola Sturgeon that she should drop out of the race and join him on a joint ticket where he would be leader, she would be deputy, and she would learn by his side the ropes and become the next SNP leader after him. And they were a formidable partnership. This is a bit like a Blair-Brown pact. It's very much like a Blair-Brown pact. You know, struck in a restaurant in Lithgow rather than the Granita restaurant in London, but nevertheless <laughs> very, very similar the two of them dragged the SNP from being also-rans who never looked like they'd get near government to becoming the dominant force in Scottish politics. And during that time, Labour collapsed to looking desperately like no-hopers, effectively. Now, that's changed slightly for Labour. They appear to be coming on the up. And I suppose if you're the SNP, you might look at what happened to Labour and how quickly it happened in Scotland as a cautionary tale when they decide what they're going to do next. First Minister, what was your last day in the chamber like? Well, it, it was great fun, but my my warning to the opposition parties with uh, Miss Sturgeon coming in, they ain't seen anything yet. Talk us through that transition of power when it did happen, because for a lot of people watching, it felt like once Alex Salmond was exiting the stage, there would be a bit of a vacuum. But, but that's sort of when Nicola Sturgeon came into her own. Yeah, it was it was a pretty seamless handover. Everyone knew there was only ever one candidate to replace him after he stepped down following the the no vote in the 2014 Scottish independence referendum. What I think is already absolutely clear from the results we have so far tonight is that Scotland has changed forever. It will never be the same again, both because of the outstandingly high turnout, but also because of the very, very strong appetite that we're seeing for change. 45% of the population had voted for independence and... Despite having lost the referendum, 
they were full of energy as a campaign. You could feel that. And Nicola Sturgeon had honed her already impressive communication skills over the course of that referendum campaign. And she was stepping into the role seamlessly. I remember being at uh, one of her rallies. Hi, Scotland. It's Nicola here. We're about to kick off our Westminster campaign right here in the Hydro in Glasgow. A series of of rallies or a a stadium tour, as it was described in some parts of the media, that went through big venues in Scotland, culminating at the Hydro in Glasgow, which is a huge venue normally reserved for big pop or rock artists. If you don't sit down, I might sing. But I remember being at one of these events in Dundee and just thinking the, the kind of electricity in the crowd was ridiculous. But what was perhaps most striking was walking through to one of the side rooms and seeing a merchandise stall with Nicola Sturgeon branded merchandise. You know, you could buy a T-shirt, a, a replica Scotland football jersey with Sturgeon on the back. And just thinking, this is not normal. No. And it's just something that shows both the force of personality in a positive light, but also, if you're to be critical of Nicola Sturgeon, perhaps the cult of personality that has meant the independence movement over the last eight years has led very, very heavily on her singularly rather than the wider SNP or the wider grassroots movement. And then the relationship that she had with, you know, the man who'd effectively been her mentor, Alex Salmond, started to come under quite a lot of pressure. It did. Alex Salmond became an MP. He won a seat in the northeast of Scotland in the 2015 general election where the SNP swept the board and returned 56 of Scotland's 59 MPs, having held six the night before the election. He increasingly made interventions that were seen as unhelpful by Nicola Sturgeon and people around her. And the relationship became more and more strained. He wasn't impressed with the SNP's campaigning in the run-up to the Brexit referendum. He was very unhappy when he lost his seat in the 2017 snap general election and blamed Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP's crap campaign, I think, as he put it to one newspaper. But then things fell apart after allegations emerged against Alex Salmond of sexual harassment when he was First Minister. I'm no perfect. I've made many mistakes in my life, political and personal, but I am not guilty of harassing anyone, and I'm certainly not guilty of any criminality. It's important to say that the Scottish Government investigation that found Alex Hammond had behaved inappropriately towards staff was deemed unlawful by the civil courts in Scotland, and he was later cleared of all criminal charges that were brought against him. But there's no doubt that that was a big severing point in their relationship. Well, here in Edinburgh, it was billed as the fight of her life. Nicola Sturgeon, accused by her predecessor, Alex Salmond, of being part of a conspiracy against him. I feel I must rebut the absurd suggestion that anyone acted with malice or as part of a plot against Alex Salmond. I never, ever, ever, ever wanted to face a situation where Alex Salmond, a man I have revered, had revered since I was 20 years old, or probably younger than that, actually, was facing serious allegations of, of sexual misconduct. I didn't want him exposed. I didn't want any of this to happen. She felt she couldn't have anything to do with Alex Salmond anymore. He felt betrayed that she had taken that decision and their relationship collapsed and it will almost certainly never recover. 
And then a few weeks ago, you know, for all of the differences that they'd had, the one thing that, that Alex Salmond and Nicola Sturgeon had always agreed on was independence and the need for the SNP to aim towards it. And then a few weeks ago at a burn supper in Dundee, he gave a speech which criticised Nicola Sturgeon in a way that we hadn't really expected. To get to a position where you say to a majority of our people that you cannot have single-sex spaces prized and worked and strived for because of some daft ideology imported from elsewhere and as we've seen imperfectly understood by its proponents in Scotland borders on the totally absurd. And the 6% decline in independence vote over a month. And think about that. 30 years of gradually building, 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 building till we get independence over 50% and then throw it away in some self-indulgent nonsense. It's important to remember two things about Alex Hammond in this. One is that he is still very angry about the perceived betrayal from his point of view by Nicola Sturgeon. And secondly, he has slightly reinvented himself. And since, well, in recent years, certainly, since he has launched his own party, the Alaba Party, he has gone to a, a more kind of extreme position of agitating harder. You know, you imagine that the Alex Hammond of 10 years ago would have advised him to do. And then... Last week, as Nicola Sturgeon's holding back the tears, announcing that she's stepping back, her mentor, suddenly he's touring the TV studios, effectively dancing on her political grave. And Nicola, you know, she had many, many talents, communication, obviously, but she's, while on independence, left the SNP without a strategy as well as without a leader. It is quite bizarre to see... Alex Hammond back out front and centre in the media for the first time really since the Holyrood election where Alpa crashed and burned. I think it just illustrates that the Scottish independence movement really is divided at the moment. I'm not going to try to dictate uh, anything uh, or at this stage, certainly not uh, now and hopefully not ever, start to issue unsolicited advice to my successor. I I know from experience that's not always something that is welcome. <laughs> Don't report that bit. Um, Who knows what comes next? There's a lot of different opinions, a lot of different factions, and they will now be fighting it out. You know, she has said that Scotland is a changed country. Did she actually deliver? Because, you know, there were headlines about what was happening to schools or the NHS in Scotland, which weren't always positive. There's not a whole lot in terms of policy that shines through. Introducing a child payment to help the poorest will be one thing, but it's not a big ticket item that you might associate with somebody after so long in government. What Nicola Sturgeon in particular has done is introduced and slightly normalised the idea of raising taxes for higher and some middle earners as a way of paying for public mm. services without losing an election. Now, whether you think that's a good or a bad thing, it's a big thing because conventional wisdom would suggest that you can't do that. But public opinion has certainly shifted to being far less satisfied with public services 
than in previous years. The NHS, as it is across the whole of the UK, the NHS is straining at the seams, is, is on the point of collapse in some places in Scotland. There are big issues with education, in, in particular in schools, and teachers are currently rejecting pay offers and striking closing schools. There are issues across the board. And ultimately, if you're one of the people who cannot get an operation or waiting 12 hours or more in accident and emergency rooms, then the idea that the same thing is happening in England, well, that just doesn't really matter, does it? First Minister, I think it's fair to say that the NHS is in a really serious situation. The attainment gap between rich and poor pupils, which you'd said was one of your core missions as First Minister, remains pretty wide. And despite what you're saying today, polls suggest that you've got nowhere near creating a sustained majority for independence. Do you have regrets about one or any of those issues? Oh, again, James, I'm a human being. I don't know if you've got regrets about things in your life. Of course, I've got regrets about all sorts of things in my life. And as I reflect on my time as First Minister, there'll be things I am hugely proud of um, and things that I regret. There's a big gap now for someone to step in and show that they have the ideas to move Scotland on and make it a better place, regardless of the constitutional future. In contrast to Alex Salmond, who brought her on, who gave her the space to improve as a politician, she hasn't done that with anyone in the SNP. The fact there's no obvious contenders, no standouts to succeed her. The fact that polls show that most people don't know who the likely candidates would be Mm. show that Nicola Sturgeon's legacy might be that she failed to plan for her own departure and left the SNP, the wider Scottish independence movement, rudderless at a crucial time. And it was interesting to see hundreds of unionists gathering in George Square in Glasgow after the announcement and doing the conga. They clearly sort of think there won't be anybody who, who can quite replace her and that this sort of puts the cause of independence away for a while. In terms of Westminster politics, do you think this is a bit of a boon for Keir Starmer? You know, Labour hasn't really won an election without winning Scotland before. It clears a path for them to potentially do a bit better in Scotland than they had previously hoped. If they think that's going to happen now just because Nicola Sturgeon has left office, I think they're going to be in line for a pretty brutal awakening. But if they are able to speak to people in Scotland and convince them Labour is a good, positive option, not just that the SNP is a bad option, then, yeah, there, there is an opportunity for them to return more MPs at the general election. And potentially, there's a long way to go in this, so it's a big potentially, but potentially be competitive at the 2026 Holyrood election in a way that looks pretty unlikely just a few days ago. And Kieran, what about Nicola Sturgeon? What next for her? Because, I mean, she's only 52. Surely that's too young to retire altogether. Well, Nicola Sturgeon has said that she will stay in politics, certainly for the immediate future. But, you know, what she does next will be fascinating. She has done work with Hillary Clinton's charity. She has clearly enjoyed doing things on the world stage. She's also talked recently about writing her memoirs. Will I write a memoir? Almost certainly, even if it's just for therapy for myself. 
we'll get it all out there. So anybody listening who might feel they have to beware that uh, there's some warning for you. I think there'll probably be a, a scramble to see exactly who she's going to dish the dirt on there. I would be very surprised if this is the end of Nicola Sturgeon. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, the Scottish political editor at The Times, Kieran Andrews. You can find all of Kieran's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print. The producers today were James Shield and Priyanka Deladia, and sound design was by John Scott. If you can, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.